Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Marjorie Lepresti is an award-winning, nationally recognized leader in music education and technology. She is a frequent speaker and presenter at educational conferences, regularly exhibiting for colleagues how to improve student achievement and enhance creativity through best practices that include new hardware, software, and cloudware applications. Marjorie has 30 years of experience teaching elementary and secondary general vocal music, piano, music technology, theory, and composition. She was named New Jersey Master Music Teacher and received the Time Music Technology Teacher of the Year Award based on her deep knowledge of instructional design, curriculum development, brain-based learning, and standards-based assessment. Marge holds degrees in music education and educational technology. She teaches at East Brunswick High School and is an adjunct professor for music education technology at the Mason Gross School of the Arts, Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey, and is the part-time U.S. Digital Content Manager for Music First. Marge is co-author of Practical Music Education Technology, a new release from Oxford University Press. Whenever weather and schedule permit, she loves to go hiking and mountain biking with her husband, Steve. I'm really thrilled to welcome Marjorie to the podcast this week. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome one of my favorite music teachers in the world uh, and a fellow New Jersey music educator, Marjorie Lepresti. Marge, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. It is absolutely my pleasure to have a chat with you and to your, with your listeners. So, Marge, I was thinking, I, I, I met you at least 15, 20 years ago as part, you know, we were, were basically in the same kind of music technology circuit, if you will, and, and at conferences. I've known you for a long time, had the utmost respect for what you do. Um, and I just wanted to let our listeners know that, um, you know, you were perhaps one of our very first Music First customers. I, kn- I knew you from my previous job at Soundtree. You had an amazing music technology lab at your, at your high school there at East, East Brunswick. Um, but when, when, when I made the move to Music First, um, I am almost positive you're like in the first 10 customers of ours. So first of all, thank you for that. Um, but I remember um, seeing the stuff that you were doing with your students. We came to your high school uh, really early on to do a profile because I was just so impressed with you dove right in head first. Um, and then when I saw the kind of things you were doing with your students and I saw your music theory course specifically and all the work that you'd put in, um, I was just so blown away. I said, if there's ever an opening at Music First for Marjorie, let's do it. And then lo and behold, uh, maybe a year or two later, uh, you became our, our part-time uh, digital content manager. I love the fact that you're in, still in the classroom and, and doing some stuff for us. So first of all, just thank you, Marjorie. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a thrill to have you on the show. 
Um, what I'd love to have you start off is, is um, let our listeners know, you know, your route from, you know, where did you go to sc- where did you go to school, and when did you become a teacher, and and tell us how you got from then until where you are now. Okay, I'm going to try to make this the Reader's Digest version. Perfect. Um, I'm a graduate of the Mason Grove School of the Arts at Rutgers University. Um, I graduated in 1990, and in the late 80s, Rutgers was putting in Mac labs. We could have the access to a Mac lab or a PC lab. A good friend of mine showed me this program called ProComposer, which was going to take a lot of the slave labor out of our work in orchestration, copying scores. Right. Lo and behold, our professor said, no, 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 you still have to hand copy all of your scores. But I was hooked on the idea that technology could take some of the grunt work out of music production and give you the immediacy of knowing what you were, you were writing was working. You could listen to it and, and edit as you went. Um, so I actually ended up student teaching in East Brunswick. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. At one of the elementary schools. And lo and behold, there was an opening that summer and they needed someone who also had some marching band experience. So that's, that's a fun part of my background. I taught drumline. I did not know and, that, Marjorie. That's very cool. I did some drill design and pieware back in the bad wow. old days. All right. Um, so th- that was a good fit. And fortunately for me, in East Brunswick, they're very welcoming of the idea of just letting you run with whatever your passion is. If you think it's going to work for students, they give you a lot of latitude to try things out. Um, I got a computer that had a somewhat out-of-date copy of Cakewalk on it and started doing some sequencing with my percussion ensemble kids. And then Sibelius came out. And for me, that was a game changer because with the, the ease of editing, and the really seamless uh, step time entry in Sibelius, I realized that even my second graders could emulate what they were doing on ORF instruments with two fingers on a piano keyboard and sequence music, music that was just so painstaking for them to be able to um, write by hand, but with the assistance of, of computer-aided music notation, they could get clean notation and a nice recording of their performance, and then we could send it home to mom and dad. Yeah, and Sibelius really nice was, cake. when Sibelius came out, I was just my I googly eye. That's actually how I met Robin Hodson. Uh, I, I met him uh, probably in 2000, maybe a little earlier. Um, th- he was the first person that ever showed me Sibelius, and it truly was a game changer in terms of the ease of use and, um, Oh, the kids loved it. Absolutely. Sorry to interrupt. Like, likewise, I met Robin on his first tour in the oh, U.S. Very cool. He came to East Brunswick to, to do a demo, and I was absolutely hooked. So then, so what, where, where did, when you first started teaching in East Brunswick, it, it sounds like you were in a couple of different schools, or where, where, where were you? I was based in Lawrence Brook Elementary School, which is right next to Turnpike Exit 9. For those right. of you who have been to love, lovely Turnpike Exit 9, it's right down the road from there. Um, I traveled to a couple of other elementary schools, and um, in the afternoons and evenings in the fall, I was doing marching band. I was at Lawrence Brook Elementary School for 14 years, and around about 1999, I sort of saw the handwriting on the wall that 
every kid was going to need some piano keyboard skill if they were going to be able to engage in music in a digital music format. Right. So I got a grant to get a bunch of keyboards from my classroom. I got 30 Yamaha keyboards. So I had wow. this gigantic classroom with 30 keyboards set up, thankfully all on a central power switch. Wow. Um, and I still <laughs> had a big open area for a couple of choral risers and room for orf instruments and singing and playing games because that's what you do in elementary school. Because that was so successful, um, the high school adopted a digital music lab that brought a Korg Soundtree lab and the teachers at the high school didn't quite know what to do with it. So the next year they opened a position that would be split time between our high school and the junior high. They put in a Yamaha MIE lab at our grade eight and nine. Oh, junior that's high. interesting. That's so you had like yeah. two different flavors of labs. Absolutely. And it was a little crazy making, maintaining two different spaces with completely different equipment. Um, but I learned a heck of a lot and met some really great people through Yamaha. Wow. I didn't know, I didn't know that you had an MIE lab. Do you know, Marjorie, that I was one of the very first beta testers in 1988? And there were four MIE labs that were put out for beta testing. And one of them was at Montclair State. And my professor, Bob Stevens, said, hey, does anybody know anything tech about technology? And so in the fall of 1988, we had one of these brand new MIE labs. What a great addition to uh, music education those things were. So it's neat to hear that you were using that uh, at the middle school and a, and a sound tree lab, Korg lab at the high school. Very cool. I didn't know that. It was, it was a good time. And some of those MIE keyboards from 2004 are still in use, believe it or not. They haven't um, kicked the bucket yet. They're, they're war horses, those things. <laughs> and then, so at, at, how long have you been then at, at East Brunswick? Because it was, was it part-time when you first got there? No, when I, I, when I was hired in fall of 1990, so I'm on year 30, my friend. Oh, my. Um, I, I taught full-time elementary with high school marching band on the side. Um, and 14 years in, I switched to secondary. Got it. And for about the last uh, 10 or 12, I've been at the high school full-time because the program just took off. They needed to staff up and bring in another teacher who took over the junior high. Yep. Got it. Very cool. So, uh yeah, so uh, you would, I would say that 1999, so about, what's that, 21 years that you've been teaching with technology? Probably longer. Yeah, but, you know, well, yeah, if a, you go all the way back. Full-time lab, 20 yeah, years. Full-time lab. That's amazing, Marge. Very, very cool. So why don't you talk about what your program at East Brunswick High School is now, today? Okay. Um, the roots of the program stem from class piano, and that really is um, sort of the nucleus of what we do. Um, there are two or three piano classes offered every day. We have a beginning level class, which starts from the very, very beginning. I get a lot of kids who haven't had a music class since elementary school, and we start with, you know, this is your right hand, and this is your left hand, and these are the finger numbers, and let's look at the black keys and the white keys. And we use music first as um, sort of blended learning. Um, every lesson I teach also exists in music first with um, digital copies of all of the print materials that I've created for them. 
and tutorial videos of everything we do in class so they can practice at their own pace. And the kids are real pros at slowing down YouTube videos if they need to see it more slowly. All of my videos include um, overhead shots of my hands with narration, just as if a student were looking over my shoulder while I was demonstrating. So if you could just pause there for a minute, Marjorie, for anybody who is a current Music First subscriber, if you go into the Music First content library and click on the music theory and then click on courses, those are the videos that Marjorie created. And those, Marjorie, are the things when I first saw them. I mean, how much time did it take you to make those overhead videos? I mean, there, there are dozens of them, right? Um, yes, and I'm not sure that the class piano videos are really in an organized fashion. That's one of those projects that's been on the shelf for me to rationalize and I'm hoping to get to it this spring. I have a fantastic student teacher which will allow me some time to organize um, my lessons into a more structured course for, for others to be able to use. Oh, that's right. Um, so you teach a piano class and then, a, a, yeah, go over your schedule. I'm sorry I interrupted you, Marge. Okay, sure. So for the piano classes, I teach two levels of piano. There's the beginner class, and then there's a second class that we call Piano Workshop, which includes a review of all the stuff in beginning piano, um, which is, it's structured roughly on the Alfred Adult Method. So the first beginning piano class takes you through the keys of C, G, and F. Yep. Um, and then we review that at the beginning of Piano Workshop, and we get the kids pretty much through um, handling all 12 keys, interpreting a key signature, and some of the kids in that workshop class come to me having had private lessons. So it's very much a differentiated situation. And the kids are working on similar technical exercises all at the same time. But the, the repertoire they're doing is, is completely personalized to where each kid is at. Right. So do there those, are do those piano classes of overhand exercises. And do those piano classes meet every single day? Absolutely. They meet every single day for a semester. Okay, got it. Um, we do not have any kind of rotating or block schedule. We are on a straight up, basically one through nine periods every day. We have kind of these oddball lunch periods in the middle, but the kids have right. nine classes a day. All right, so two piano classes and what, what else? Um, we offer three levels of technology focused classes. Um, the class that I inherited is called Music Technology and Composition. And that's pretty much in the model of most music tech classes where um, we're using a DAW. The class, the class was built around GarageBand when that came out in 2004. That's sort of how we structured the course around GarageBand. Um, so they do some, some projects with just using the loop library and then doing some composition via MIDI. We do some work with um, Audacity just for straight up audio editing and to learn how effects work without the distraction of all of um, the MIDI features in a, in a full on DAW. Um, we do notation work. We used to use Sibelius and I love this. What we used to pay for our Sibelius site license for the school district pays for our Music First subscription. Right, so one piece of software pays for everything. Absolutely, yeah. and we have we have so much more value added right. for the same the same cost. So it's you're so using happy. so you swapped out NoteFlight. I mean, you swapped Absolutely. out Sibelius for NoteFlight. Right, and for the purposes of what most of my students do, NoteFlight is more than adequate. And yeah. my advanced students, 
they've bought Sibelius for themselves. I maintain a copy of Sibelius for myself because of all the scores that, that I've created over the years. Yep. But for most of what, what the kids do, No Flight is fantastic, and I love how it dovetails so beautifully with Soundtrap. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so those, that, kids, those kids are doing all of the traditional things, you know, um, using a DAW, creating a podcast. They do radio commercials. Um, they do some work in notation. They're doing some composition. And that's a nine-week course. So by the time they're getting comfortable, they have to leave. <laughs> we offer um, a second course called Advanced Music Studio. In that course, it's um, a little bit more notation heavy. Uh, right now, that gang of kids is um, creating three versions of the same piece of music. So we spend some time in J.W. Pepper looking at beginning band, orchestra, and chorus music, middle school stuff, and high school stuff, and they're, they're scoring up and they're scoring down. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, it's, that's really cool. And that's really training for their capstone project. Um, in the coming weeks, they're going to be recruiting students from within the school, composing a piece of music for them, and um, recording it and engineering the recording as their capstone. And that, that's also a nine-week class. Wow. So they are, that capstone project, which is like the culminating, their final project, I guess, for that advanced music studio. Is that right? Yes. And then they're, they're choosing a musician in the school to compose for? Right. They're, they're recruiting their friends. And they're going to interview those kids and find out their likes and dislikes and do the best they can to compose something that's going to make everybody in that group happy. And they have to include at least one band or orchestral instrument in the group. It can't just be, I'm writing a song for rock band. Wow. And do they, do they perform those live or is it, how does that work? Um, they do a live recording session. Um, we are really strapped for space. We're in a 1959 school that was built for half the student population that we have. I, so yeah, I remember visiting, yeah, yep. Um, we use the stage with um, the mid-stage traveler closed, um, that back part of the stage with the back wall with no curtain on it, gives us some nice resonance off the back wall and the floor. Um, so we set up a live recording session. We do a couple of takes and then, as much as we need to, the kids do track on track to kind of get a, a good mix going. You know, wow. these, you know, they're listening to when, when they all play together and then they record each part separately in case they need to be engineered to fix errors or whatnot. That's very cool. So I love the live aspect of it. That's really, really important. Um, many people think, or, you know, I, I'm just to get off topic for a second there, Marge, I think a lot of um, the, I think resistance is the right word, but that music educators, I would say traditional music educators have about music technology is that you don't have to be a musician to make music, uh, you know, with the technology. I don't, I don't see why that argument is even an argument, but um, I love the fact that you're, that you're incorporating live music making in the process. Um, is that something you thought about? I mean, how did that, how did that project come, come to fruition? Um, that project just seemed like a logical extension of where the kids were at when they finished music technology and composition. Yep. We launched the advanced music studio class maybe three years after I had come to the high school. Um, I got to write the curriculum. Um, and it, it just seemed like 
a natural thing. If, you know, if you're going to go out there and, and be a composer or a recording engineer or a performing artist, you need that kind of experience. And yeah, absolutely. I'm very it's... conscious that a lot of what we do in the music lab relates directly to, to job skills. Anybody who's involved in any kind of marketing whatsoever is going to need those multimedia school skills. Absolutely. What a, what a great experience for them. And what um, do they do? So they just hand in their capstone project for, for, for review, or is there any kind of public like, Hey, listen to what we created, or, or is that not something that you do? Um, we put that on the scroll on the, the school TV channel. Oh, very cool. Very you cool. Know, we've, 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 if they have time to, to make a video for it, which they very rarely do, um, we'll put that up. But we, you know, cre we, we create a, a montage of photos from, from the, while they were in process doing the recording. And then, you know, that's on, on the display while the songs are playing. Oh, that's great. So, so if I've counted right, you've got a piano class and then a piano workshop class. And then you have a kind of an intro or music uh, technology and composition class and then an advanced studio class. And then did you say there's one more that you teach? Right. There's a new class that we started about a year and a half ago called Digital Music Experience. And that class is intended for all those kids walking around the hallway, bopping their head to whatever's playing in their earbuds, yep. who really don't want to learn to play an instrument don't want to sing, don't want to read music. They just want to make beats. <laughs> Which is every kid. Or, and, <laughs> and they think they're all like, you know, they're, they're all, think they're all hip hop DJs. It's That's right. Well, good, good, good. Um, so that course is actually centered around all of my digital instrument toys because I'm kind of a, a toy collector. I have a collection of K oscillators and um, pocket operators and we've got some jam hubs so we can plug them all together. Very um, cool. So we start with that. I have a Theramini, which is a Theramini. Oh, very cool. Tune. I remember those. Awesome. Oh, I love that. So we plug those together for their first experience. It's like, okay, you, you're in charge of playing the kick drum. I don't know how to do that, miss. I'm like, sure you do. Just tap this thing. And we start layering some parts together. And before you know it, they're improvising and creating songs. Very cool. So that's just the live performance aspect of that class. Um, on an individual level, um, we're using Ableton Live. Awesome. I cannot claim to be an expert at Ableton Live. Oh, it's my favorite piece of software. I shouldn't say that. You don't have that. to know software inside out to teach with it. That, that's sort of a misconception a lot of teachers have. Agreed. You know, if you know some things, you can certainly get started. And there will be a kid in that class who knows how to do the thing and will teach you. And you just need to be welcoming of that. Yeah, and Ableton so, has created so many great resources. I'm, I'm actually teaching Ableton Live right now to my graduate students at Teachers College. And a lot of teachers open it up and go, what the heck is this? I, on a personal level, I love making music with it. It's such a creative, it, it's like zero limits. Uh, it's completely inspirational for creativity. I, I'm really happy to hear that your kids are using it. And I, and, I mean especially for beat makers. It's like the greatest thing on the planet. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I just start them in the loop library in um, session view. Okay. Pull in some clips. Here's how this works. You're going to play a one minute solo. You're going to DJ for us for one minute. And they look terrified. I'm like, no, 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 it's going to be okay. Really? 
And before you know it, they're just going. Or do they have any kind of Ableton push or any kind of, you know, um, USB device? Or are they doing that, um, you know, clicking? The, the, for the first activity, they're just clicking in session view. Yep. Um, once we get to the second activity, we pull out the Ableton push units. We have seven of them. There oh, very cool. Workstations, awesome. So they got to share, but they're okay with that. Um, and with the Korg Lab, I can hook together multiple workstations. So one kid can be playing the keyboard and another kid can be playing the push. They're on separate um, computers running Ableton at the same time, but they're still collaborating. Right. Very cool. And are you teaching uh, any any AP theory classes or is that, is that just uh, do I have that wrong? Oh, yeah. My, my day starts with AP music theory. It's seven That's right. six in the morning. Oh um, my. <laughs> and I don't think I could do what I do if we didn't have note flight and sight reading factory to be perfectly honest. Um, grading kids counterpoint and four part voice leading, trying to read their chicken scratch is a fate worse than death. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, oh, wow. And for the kids, they, are, to their detriment, I think, um, they don't count the intervals so well when they're learning to write a soprano against a bass and following the rules of first and second species counterpoint like they should be, you know, because they're used to hearing so much dissonance, they don't always right. catch it. Right. But when it comes to four-part voice leading, um, having the, the scaffolding of... Um, First of all, rhythmically, they can't do anything crazy. And secondly, that they can hear the chord progression and, and know if it's working and hear if the seventh, chord, seventh chords are resolving properly is really invaluable. That's, that's fascinating. So you, I mean, what, what I hope listeners, uh, and, and I'm hoping that there's a wide variety of technology experience levels and teaching duties and all that thing, you know, th there's so many different ways to teach music and so many different job descriptions, but you, Marjorie, are one of a small group of people, many of whom I've actually interviewed on this podcast series, that their whole job, so you're in a high school with a quote-unquote non-performance aspect of your job, so you're not teaching band you're not teaching choir, although you have in the past, right? Right. I've, I've taught band and choir. Right. But you're not now. So your job I is... I am not now. Yeah. You're a music tech all day, every day. Right. Um, and I, true confession, I miss directing a choir. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I yeah. do miss that. But um, I do get to m get my hand in coaching students with um, the Music Honor Society and our musicians club, which is open to anybody. That's called Crescendo. They just gave a concert last night and they rocked the house. It was awesome. I'm sure they did. Well, it, you know, when I think, I think of Barbara Friedman, I think of uh, Will Kuhn, I think, you know, all the people, people who have appeared on the show as well that, that have that gig, that, that was my dream job. And I never was able to get there because I found that the stress of the performance side of things was really all consuming. It's actually why I'm sitting here now interviewing you is that I just couldn't take the stress of being a middle school band director. I wish I could have been a full-time music tech teacher. So I, I got to, I mean, it's, it's interesting to me, Marge, that um, a lot of the, a lot of the music tech people that I've interviewed um, are women first. And, and second, um, they didn't start out being tech geeks. They uh, organically came to it. So, I mean, how did you get in, how did you get interested in music technology in the first place? 
uh, it goes back to those days in the Mac Lab and the Douglas Library on on the Douglas campus at Rutgers. Just because I could see, wow, this is going to open a lot of doors and provide the support that's needed to just make the music and not be worried so much about all of the nitty gritty. And for kids, that's transformational, especially kids with special needs. You know, they they don't have to read music. They don't have to um, be able to hold an instrument with perfect technique or have super fine motor coordination to be successful. Yep. And then, and and how did you learn all of, I mean, it, it sounds like you've got everything under the sun in your classroom. How do you find time to learn all this stuff? One piece at a time. I am largely self-taught, but yeah, I've got to credit Robin and you and Amy Burns and Will Kuhn for pointing me in the right direction a lot of the time. And, and I'm sure you didn't even know that you were doing it. You, you were just being you. But um, the community of teachers in the music tech realm is just so warm and welcoming and, and sharing of everything you know that um, you just sort of spread the wealth without intending to impact others it just happens organically yeah i mean and and i learned from you and i learned from everybody that you just named i i think marge every time i see you one of us says to the other have you seen this thing and 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 you show it and you're like oh my god so every time i get with any of my my tribe my my music teachers who use technology um we're always sharing it's the most open uh, caring supportive group um, uh, yeah, you've nailed it there is that, that we all learn from each other and it's, uh, it's, it, and, and there shouldn't be any fear of it, right? I'm sure you learn from your students as well, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I learned something from John Melissak that I had done instinctively that I needed to vocalize more to other teachers. He said something this past weekend at NJMEA. He said, you know, when you have a tech glitch, don't just fix it make your students listen as you talk through the troubleshooting so that they know how to fix it. And I've been doing that instinctively, but I haven't told other teachers to do that. And I think that's really important too, that we're not just teaching one another as colleagues, but we're teaching our students how to work through tech problems as well. I, I think that's, it's a very, very good point. And I think that when students, I think a, some of the fear that music teachers have about technology is what if it goes wrong? And it's not what if, when it goes it wrong, what do I do? And it's that fear of not being comfortable or not knowing how to fix it in front of the students. And I see that as a perfect opportunity because the kids, A, see you as a real human being. Uh, they see your problem solving skills, you know, whether or not you freak out about, I mean, if you have a temper tantrum because something breaks, that's one thing. But I always did that instinctively in front of the kids as well. Um, and I personally believe that the kids really appreciate and get a lot of respect for you, that you're willing to go out there without a net sometimes and, and get and mess things up and, and have them have kids help and you're helping. I, I think it's really an important part of teaching. Agreed. Agreed. And I think you nailed it in that kids need to see you as a human being, not just yeah. as you're the teacher. Right. And Absolutely. That it's okay for everyone in the room to be learning together. That very, very good point. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit and, and come back to uh, music first, because you've mentioned a wide variety of software um, and, and hardware as well. So 
how is how does music first fit in this puzzle for you uh, in your program music first is home base for everything that happens in my classroom um in piano class the first thing they're supposed to do is to log into music first and pull up whatever finger exercise they are on or whatever the days do now is for today for example they had a timed note reading test which i make them do on paper it's actually faster for them to scribble out notes on a sheet of paper than it is to do it with technology yep. but they go into um an exercise that's queued up through musictheory.net right in right on their music first dashboard and they do a one minute timed type the letter names of the notes as fast as you can as a warm-up for the written test like a mad minute <laughs> absolutely a minute to win it that's what right. i tell them Very you get cool. a minute to win it go um, so it's, it's really the hub for the piano classes, for the theory class, um, and my colleague who teaches the beginning theory class is using all the materials that I created when I was also teaching beginning theory and all of the theory resources that are in the library. That's great. So it, it is hilarious to me when I see his students watching a, a theory tutorial that I made and I'm like, oh, it's virtual low presti. And they're like, yeah, we like her better than you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, my AP students have said they like my tutorials better than me in person because I'm more chill. Oh, that's great. Uh, kid, aren't kids wonderful at taking your ego down a few notches every now and then? It's, it's fine. We all laugh together. And right. I, I will own that I am an intense person in front of the classroom. I will own that. And I'm intense because I'm passionate and I want everyone to be engaged. Absolutely. But I think when you're... Um, working asynchronously as a student, the moderator coming through the screen needs to be relaxed and reassuring. So I assume that demeanor for the tutorials. Yep. And for your digital music experience class, how are you using it there? Same situation. That's, that's the hub. Whatever it is right. that they're working on, there's some sort of activity do now um, reflection that starts in music first. For example, as we're getting toward finishing a project, I'll post a discussion forum that's a gallery walk. I don't know how much you might have discussed that um, during some of your other interviews, but... Um, I haven't, so I'd love to hear it. Okay, fantastic. It's pretty common among um, the music tech teacher community to have kids evaluate one another's projects either for real with, with rubric in hand or as a pre-final um, assessment, you know, sort of as a last chance formative assessment for the kids. Yep. So I start a discussion forum and each thread is the name of a one of the students in the class. And they need to listen to at least three other students' projects and leave feedback in the thread for, the, for that kid to read. And because it's a public discussion, as if we were having a talk out loud, they need to choose their language appropriately, they need to give supportive feedback and some substantive musical feedback, including suggestions and corrections. And it saves a heck of a lot of time as opposed to everybody listening to all of the projects back to back and having a discussion, which would take two or three classes. We yeah, you know, 20 minutes. I'm sure you saw that thread. I don't know whether it was on the I Teach With Technology Facebook page or the Music Teachers Facebook page, but there was a teacher recently that kind of made that quote unquote mistake by playing all the students' work 
all at once for a whole class period and, and getting feedback and they were complaining how long it took. I love the idea that you just said where it, it's in a discussion thread and they're getting feedback from their peers. It's a far more efficient and probably far more valuable experience for the person receiving the feedback um, in, in a, and it's not in a public forum, you know, they can do it asynchronously. I love that idea. Um, one of the things I've discovered is that students who are hesitant to speak out loud in class, they'll say a few things, but they're, they're reluctant, um, will have a whole lot to say if they have a chance to type in a discussion forum because they have a chance to form their thoughts and think about it. As and they also they, on the spot. Yeah, they also know that others are reading it. I found the same thing when I was blogging with my students back in the early 2000s. If they wrote it in one of those black and white marble notebooks, like a critique of a piece I played for them, it was horrible what they wrote. Um, but if they wrote it online in a blog where everyone knew who they were, they were really, <laughs> they really considered their language, their thoughts. And, and, and I didn't, you would never have known they were eighth graders. They sounded like adults when they wrote. Wow, fantastic. Very, very cool. So I love, so one of, one of my earliest podcast interviews with the, was, was with a gentleman named Brad Fuller and you and Brad would be our kindred spirit. He said the exact same thing. He uses music first as the hub. He teaches at Northern Christian, Northern Beaches Christian School in out, just outside of Sydney, Australia. And, and music first was his hub and that's where the kids went to kind of get their assignment to check in and maybe to do to hand in some work for assessment slash feedback but the rest of the class they were they were doing other things and i love the i love what you've said marge that there's a lot of analog things happening there are kids writing on paper which i think is very very relevant in today's world um and and i also think you you nailed the point that sometimes technology is not the fastest way to do things or the best way to do things so I really think, Marge, your, your program, this kind of mix of the analog and the digital world is, is, is wonderful, and I'm sure your kids appreciate you for it. Well, thank you. So, High um, praise from you, Jim. Well, I, you, you know I adore you. You're, you're fantastic. I, I, I wonder if, if there are people listening and saying, well, you know, Marge is all in. Marge was a time teacher of the year. You know, I'd, how can I do anything like that? It's just way too much. What advice would you give to music teachers who might be doing a little bit of it, might, might be using, using music first, might be like dabbing their toe in the water. What advice would you give them to, to kind of increase or, or make their use of technology more effective? I would um, challenge anybody who's feeling hesitant or unsure to think about the one activity they wish they had more time to, to do with kids and find a way to use music first or another technology to sort of stretch the bounds of the classroom. For example, I hear from a lot of um, ensemble directors, I don't have time to teach theory. Well, sure you do because it's all right there in music first for free. Right. And if you have the kids do a theory quiz, a key signature quiz, it'll take them three minutes at the beginning or end of class and anybody who needs additional instruction, you can assign that as a flipped classroom homework activity, and you can assign it just to the kids who need it. I yeah, think that, that's an I'm, underutilized feature. Teachers think they have to assign everything to, to all of the kids, but you can pick and choose who's seeing which assignments. 
Yeah, and 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 Marjorie, I think that you know, for anyone listening who who is using the classroom, please go into that content library and check out the courses. I think courses was a, an idea straight from you, Marjorie. This kind of curating um, best practices from our customers. So Dan Schultz in in uh, Flemington and. I think Andrea Moss made the choral one. I did. I did the band. You did the theory. I think that 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 idea of there's so much stuff in there. A lot of band director, choir directors, you know, they come in and they go, all right, I just need practice first, and I just want to assess. But your point about what is that? What is the, what parts of your program do you wish you had more time to teach? Theory is always one of them. Ear training is always one of them. Sight reading, definitely. Improvisation, the stuff that. Um, because we're so often music teachers are so focused on the concert and, and making it as best as it possibly can. They, they kind of give short shrift, if you will, to the other things. So I think that was a very, very important point. And, and composition being the one that's the most obvious to, to all of us. But um, I, I really right. like the point you made there. Uh, where, right. where, where, where would you point people to get training? Uh, to get training? Well, there's all of the tutorials in Music First. There's all of, every single state has an MEA conference that you, you need to go to. Um, but if you're looking to learn the Music First platform better, um, we offer a free music teacher certification to be a Music First user for ensemble directors, for general music teachers, for theory teachers, and even for elementary teachers using Music First Junior. If you want to get more comfortable with the software, it's completely asynchronous. You take all the time you need um, and work through each aspect of how Music First functions step by step. And um, yours truly is on the other end when you need help. That's right. I'm glad you mentioned it, Marjorie. The, if, if, if you go to musicfirst.com and click on the training tab and go down to Music First Academy, that is, Marjorie is, is the person behind the academy. And, and there are some fantastic courses. If you're a customer, there's some fantastic courses that will get you up to speed with all. I mean, hey, we built a learning management system. Doesn't it make sense that we put courses on it for teachers? So I'm, I'm really thrilled you mentioned that, Marge. So it's time for the, the million-dollar question. Uh, and, and it's funny because, uh, you know, you're a customer, but you're also, you do work for us. So I can't wait to hear this one. What, um, if you could wave a magic wand and change something about, uh, the platform or anything, uh, any aspect of, of music technology, what would it be? Um, in light of current events, if I could wave a magic wand and had a couple million dollars of development money, because that's probably what it would take, um, I would put in um, a video conference feature right in the Music First classroom. Um, we don't know what's coming down the pike with um, this COVID-19 virus. Oh, that's right. Um, but Music First is my learning management system of choice. And oh, by the way, I'm forced to use Canvas at my school also. So I'm doing double work. Right. It's terrible. Um, but having a learning management system with the software completely integrated with content that I can access that I know has been vetted. Everything in our content library was developed by a music teacher, not like, you know, some random person threw it into Canvas Commons and it might be good and it might not be good. Right. You know, we, we stand by what's in the library. Um, we don't know if kids are going to be home from school for three weeks or if school is just going to be out of session for a month. 
Yeah, that's right. Maintain our momentum. So if there was a video conference feature in Music First where we could have a synchronous class right there, that would be amazing. That's a great idea. I'm gonna. Well, I mean, we may have to get that in place. So who knows what's going to happen with this whole thing? Um, I think there's a lot yes. of people freaking out about it. But yeah, it it also speaks to the fact that, you know, if if you're not, um, if a student is not out, they can still. If a student's not in school, they can get access to that. Uh, if a, if a teacher's home and they need to make sub plans, they can do that. It, it's a really. There's a lot of different ways you can use it. So I, I, I video conference. I'm gonna. I'm, I'll talk to Brad and see what we can do. It's a great idea. <laughs> well, Music First definitely saved me during all of the MEA conferences. I'm never home and I'm never in school during February because all the conferences are back to back. That's right. But the learning the learning continues in my class because everything was queued up in Music First and. I'm fortunate now to have a really great student teacher, but in previous years, you know, just having a, a sub in the room who could take attendance and make sure the kids were getting logged in and doing what they were supposed to do, everybody stayed on track, even though I wasn't in the room. That's great. And they, well, really, they really love it when I troll them and check their work. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I'm out of state. They, they love that. Well, Marge, it's it's been a delight to talk to you. I knew it would be, and uh, and uh, I'm just I'm I'm so happy you're part uh, of the Music First team. I'm so happy you're still teaching, uh, and those kids are so lucky to have you. Uh, and I just thank you so much for 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 being a part of this podcast. And uh, I can't wait to see you in person soon. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much, Jim. All right, take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.